Welcome to Here Come the Sequels, a full spoiler podcast where we take a look at popular film franchises one movie at a time. I'm Tyler. I'm Alex. And I'm your ghost with the most, Britain. I'm trying to do more more Halloween stuff. It's, yeah, it is. It's, it is October. Yeah, it's officially October we crossed now. Into, and... Yeah. Uh, I think our last episode did go off at the beginning of October. But, sure. Oh, uh, we always go off, sis. And I think that... Um, <laughs> now... not what I said. <laughs> And I think... That, uh, yeah, it's just time to, you know, Alex has got his cobwebs and Tyler mm-hmm. got out the big old pumpkin. Yep. And, uh, and I'm a ghost. Old 300 pounder. Oh, man. <laughs> Been using him for 20 years. <laughs> Hasn't aged today. <laughs> Whoa. Usually they get kind of mushy they say after one day it'll hatch. <laughs> Who knows what'll happen then? <laughs> What's gonna come out of it? You don't want to. Maybe know. a podcast. Um, the yeah. podcast that we are making today is about a movie called Scream Three. It sure is. It's it's just the the bit where the, the little hatchling of the raptor, the baby raptor in the first hmm. Jurassic Park, but it's just another pumpkin. <laughs> <laughs> push, Life, uh, push, pump, pop. But yes, we are we are closing out the Scream trilogy, and by that I mean we're doing Scream three because there's two more after this. Yeah, remember <laughs> a trilogy. It's a trilogy. Yes. Do you know what was this intended to just be a trilogy? Because they talk about it a lot in this movie. Was was I, I, four just like yeah, let's do another one? That's my understanding. Okay. I think when they reached the end of this one, they're like, okay, I think we're we're good to close this out. And then years later, they're like, let's do it again. Why not? Yeah, especially because of how quickly these first three came out. Sure. That feels like a very much like, all right, we, we've got this this franchise. We've got this idea. We're going to knock it out really quickly and like, you know, kind of get these sequels going. Okay. And then, yeah, the, the next one, because this is 2001? 2000. Okay. Well, Alex is the one to tell us that. Uh but I know the next one is like eleven years later. So Oh well. That feel that feels like. And we're all we're on that train of thought. It's also directed by Wes Craven and has a forty one percent critic score on Rotten Tomatoes Oof. and a thirty seven percent audience score. Oof. Harsh. So, that is a it is quite harsh. And I know like the second one I mean the second one actually had a slightly higher uh critic yeah. score. Um but it did have a, a I mean, I dropped about twenty points in terms of the audience score, and this one's another twenty point drop off. So. Yeah, the I don't get that for two. I, I this is the weakest so far for me yeah. easily, yeah. but it's I I wouldn't go forty and thirty on it no, or thirty for thirty because it's not a sport. This isn't a game, you guys. It's real. Well, it's death. They, I mean, they do talk about it being a game. I guess you're right. Hey, if John Madden was in Scream, <laughs> do you think he'd be able to find the killer by like circling stuff on a board and all the great stuff he did? All we have to do is stop the killer. <laughs> and that's my John Madden impression. Guys, sometimes uh, I will... I, every now, whenever, Okay, we'll peek into Britain's life. I have a mm-hmm. one of my toxic traits is whenever somebody talks about had to they got a new car, they rented a car, something about getting a car, I always find myself saying, Oh, what kind did you get? 
I don't know why I do what is for me the conversational equivalent of signing up for sports (laughs) because I have (laughs) nothing. I will have nothing to tell them, despite the many uh, cogent advice we've given on this podcast about cars. They could tell me anything. They could be like, it's a Hyundai Altima. And I'd be like, so you got the good wheels then. I don't know anything about it. And I think that's evident as well by the fact that I just brought up John Madden and can only talk about circling something. This is, I, I, I don't know why I put myself into these messy situations. And why does Sydney keep getting into these messy situations? Well, we'll find out in Scream 3. And to understand that, you really have to go back to the 1970s and the Houston Oilers. Uh, <laughs> uh, now, Britton, uh, yeah. you're a big fan of the 1970s Houston Oilers quarterback. Can you tell me? <laughs> I sure can. His name was Hugo <laughs> Buffus. And what I loved about Hugo Buffus is he was always playing the long game. Some of your other 70s, uh, we used to call them cleat jockeys. Some of your other, <laughs> your other 70s, <laughs> CJs also. The, uh, you know, like Steve Trombo and Gort McCracken. You know, they, they, they were just, it was yard by yard for them. And they, would, they wouldn't pace themselves. Tortoise in the hair, tail as old as time. But old Hugo, he knew, like, there's another yard after this one. And there's another mm-hmm. man after this one. And so he would he would, he really knew how to pace himself and uh, and 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 work through all the downs and uh, you know that's that's why the Houston Oilers uh, got a couple of those, uh, big old championships all thanks to mm-hmm. Hugo Buffus. See you, you're 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 selling yourself short. You got it all right. You knew everything. About that. <laughs> you're right. Next time next time I get into a conversation about football, I'll just play that Hugo Buffus card. <laughs> I tell you what, he's no Hugo Buffus. Um, really, I really want you to go to like a really huge tailgating event and just like start talking about Hugo Buffus and just see what happens. I think no one, just potato yeah, salad falling out of people's mouths. I think, uh, Britain, you need to you need to get a jersey, uh, uh like a, a football jersey that just says sport <laughs> and, and has some sort of very neutral color, like a. I don't know. It's just like blue. <laughs> and, and, on, and on the back, it has number one and above it, me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, and then get a, well, uh, I was going to say get a, um, uh, like a fake beard, but for all the audience knows you, you already have yeah, you know, that's a, a two foot beard. Know. So I'm going to sure. go with that and say that you already have that. Uh, and just go to some, yeah, some sporting events and just start, uh, ranting about how, um, Gort McCracken was robbed of, <laughs> the uh 1978 nfl mvp <laughs> uh i think it'd be good i think so too i think i'm gonna do that uh very soon and it'll be great and i won't um, <laughs> get nervous at all <laughs> now that i've ruined the uh <laughs> the segue you tried to set up for alex. <laughs> alex what is the hold, thing about this movie hold, hold on hold on tyler i i think i think you're you're selling yourself short there you didn't you didn't ruin the segue you like napalmed it <laughs> <laughs> that was like that was like rolling thunder scorched earth we're not coming back from that i think we're good to end the show <laughs> okay. um i do have a synopsis here for the film and it's are we no. sure we want to hear it though? Uh, I think you do because it's not good. <laughs> I mean, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Um, it, the latest installment, just like the movie. Hey, so uh, the synopsis, of course, reads thus: 
The last installment, with one L, in the Scream mm-hmm. trilogy is set in Hollywood, where Stab 3 is being shot, with Gail Weathers and Dwight Riley on set as advisors to Jennifer Jolie. Kinda. Unfortunately, a killer decides to go, decides to off the cast in the order of the screenplay, and only Sid Prescott, now in hiding until the killer tracks her down, can solve the riddle. Not really a riddle. <laughs> eh. But well, it's not a game. We firmly established that. Very true. Uh, <laughs> actually, I think we very much did not establish that. So. <laughs> also, I don't know we... if this is showing up on anyone else's, but on my Skype screen, Alex is in a loop. He's in a GIF at this point. That is not what I'm seeing. Okay, because I'm just seeing Alex skip a lot, like reaching Kinda back like to, a, to touch like his... Kind of like a highlight reel. Yeah, honestly, and the highlight is him <laughs> touching the back of his neck and smiling. <laughs> Over and over and That's over and concerning. over and over and over again. I think we're about to be uh, unfriended or whatever. Oh, no. The movie is. Um, hand in a blender, etc. Oh, no. Um, Who would have thought my signature move, uh, putting my hand on my neck, would be the downfall of us all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the... <laughs> to actually talk about the movie. Um, is that what we're doing? Yeah, theoretically. <laughs> uh, we'll get around to it. Um. We could probably burn like ten more minutes before we have to, but <laughs> yeah. uh, we'll go ahead and we'll go ahead and skip to it. Um, I felt like this was very much the opposite of the last movie for me. Uh, I think the last movie was a little bit meandering, especially as it got towards the middle, and then um, kind of pulled it all back around for me by the end. Uh, this one, I think, felt pretty focused, and I was really enjoying it for a lot of the movie. And then I think the third act is is pretty messy. Yeah, it goes uh, on for and, a while. And sort of um, doesn't really have any of the the twists or pivots that we've become accustomed to with this franchise in terms of being something really interesting and like subversive. It it feels like yeah, this is probably how you would end a a, a horror franchise trilogy that had gone on too long. <laughs> like it's just like you just did the thing. Yeah, you're no longer really doing a parody. It's it is like. I, I don't want to say that it's it's becoming too attached to the story of the characters uh, and like drilling so far into that that it kind of gets away from being sort of undermining and there's there's parts of the third act that I do enjoy like there's there's stuff that they do in there that's that's neat and we'll talk about that um, but I definitely think this one especially because the entire plot kind of resolves revolves around the the making of the third movie in a trilogy mm-hmm. like it, it feels like there should be something else there um there there's stuff that i think is very superficially like oh yeah that's okay that you know you're you're doing a thing that is neat uh from a filmmaking perspective and a meta perspective but i i feel like it's missing the sort of punch of the last couple where it really like kind of turns a key and, and suddenly it's like, Oh, that's brilliant. That makes so much sense that this is, you know, who the villain is or whatever the case may be. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it didn't feel to me like there was, there's definitely a commentary about trilogies, but it didn't feel like you said, it feels more like they're just going to do it. Um, and I know Kevin Williamson, I think co-wrote this with somebody. Um, uh, 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 I, I do have to speak about the other uh, oh, writer boy. of this film. He oh. is he has been on the podcast before. Oh boy, Joseph. Um, <laughs> Joseph. <laughs> uh, Aaron Kruger is his name. And, oh, 
I think a lot of people, if you know the ins and outs of these franchises, like at least I do, uh, will recognize that name because Aaron Kruger wrote, I think he did a pass at the Transformers Revenge of the Fallen script, that, and that then is he the wrote one that Dark of the Moon and Age of Extinction. Yeah. Whoa. Okay. Let me check if he's done anything else, but that was huh. the immediate stuff where I was like, oh. <laughs> that would be a legendary career. Yeah. He also wrote just... Top Gun Maverick. Okay. And All right, that's better. The Trial of the Chicago 7. What? <laughs> okay, that's that's very good. Okay, well cool. What else is in I uh, we I think we we need to <laughs> to take a moment here. What else has he done? He wrote because... All right, I'll just go go through the highlights here. He wrote The Ring, The Ring 2, okay. The Brothers Grimm. Um, oh wait, he's got a executive producer credit on screen four um he wrote ghost in the shell the scarlett johansson version good he wrote dumbo the tim burton movie (laughs) and like i said he's a top gun maverick so he's got that is man fantastic (laughs) i'm gonna say more more misses than hits but yeah it's a very do you guys think that uh whoever directed top gun maverick saw dumbo and was like whoever wrote this understands flight they know something about aviation and being in that big, beautiful firmament. We got to get. <laughs> they were like, literally the only thing this man understands is flight. He understands <laughs> nothing else. <laughs> Dark of the moon. You have to fly to get there. He wrote a movie called Reindeer Games <laughs> that I think is supposed to be like, what if Die Hard had Ben Affleck and Charlize Theron? Uh... Uh, and was directed by John Frankenheimer. Uh, I think this is something we have to do for the podcast, now. which I, I think we do have to do for I the podcast. Think that's but, our Christmas episode. No, like literally, like his his career starting with Scream Three. He did some some movies that I haven't I'm not familiar with before, like a few before that. I assume smaller ones. Um, but he wrote Scream Three, Reindeer Games, uh, Imposter, uh, which I I have no commentary on. Uh, the Ring. Uh, Rings, which is a short film that is an extra on The Ring. The Ring Two. Uh, the skeleton key. Um, the Brothers Grimm. Okay, which is yeah, which has Matt Damon and Heath Ledger. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I recommended it, but I did talk yeah. about it at some point during the <laughs> recommend section. Uh, Blood and Chocolate. I've never heard of this, but then yeah, it's so he's got he's got all of that right. This this is the buildup. It's like that sort of a chaotic. Uh weaving through you know nothing that's really like standing out as something something great uh and then literally the last six movies he has written transformers revenge of the fallen transformers dark of the moon transformers age of extinction ghost in the shell dumbo with top gun maverick what <laughs> that's what you want <laughs> i want that man's and career. He, he co-wrote uh, various movies throughout that but like, like they weren't all just him but i want to say I, I got paid to write age of extinction that's incredible i uh I just that's very good. I just hopped around, sentence hopped in the reindeer game synopsis on Wikipedia. It sounds like a wild <laughs> movie. Very quickly, but it feels off the rails. That's, I yeah, we'll have to get around. That's to that the Aaron point. touch, um, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a that is the uh, man walks in, writes those six movies in a row, refuses to elaborate further. Like, <laughs> exactly. That's that's not. <laughs> That is very good. I mean, he did write one of the top grossing American domestic movies of all time. Yeah. Dumbo. Yeah. <laughs> it just hasn't gotten there yet. I... Your kids are going to love it. 
Britain, I completely uh, sideswiped you and took us in a completely other direction. I believe you were talking about Kevin Williamson. Oh, just that, like, I, I feel like this movie didn't come with the amount of, like, or maybe just, like, the, the sharpness of commentary or the breadth of commentary of the, the previous two. And admittedly, after a while, I don't know really where you go. I have a feeling of, like, where tw- the 2022 scream can go, sure. because at that point... There is a new set of film, specifically horror and franchise trends to discuss. And even if you're not parodying them to kind of, I don't know, just comment on them. So, but for this in the 2011 one, I'll be interested to see like what the angle is for the 2011th one. The, the 2011 one, I remember, I think, I want to say mostly it focuses on a new cast. And I think it kind of plays on like, stuff that directions they didn't go with this franchise. Um, but yeah, like I, I definitely think they, they kind of ran, uh, ran out of creative spins to put on this by the end. Um, there is stuff there that we'll talk about that. That's neat. That it just is like in the movie. Um, but I, I do feel like by and large, they what what i really like about the beginning of the movie um is the stuff where it's like we are go- we are diving into hollywood as a as a setting and bring in a new cast with that um mcdreamy <laughs> from yeah gray's anatomy is a is the detective man in this movie um, and he's got some hair too it is he's got it he's is got the working, hair man oh boy. this is this is prime Grey's Anatomy version of that man whose name I, as an actor, I don't actually know. Patrick Dempsey. There we go. Yeah. No, uh, we should have left it as a mystery. From, from, <laughs> from Enchanted. This, yes, that's how I know him. This mystery man with the luscious locks. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> correct. Because he wasn't, he wasn't the star of one of the more popular shows of the 2000s. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, one, Look, no one's ever heard of him. He was also in Dark of the Moon. There we go. And again, Enchanted. He's pretty good in it. Right. We don't know why he's in that. Um, Until we discover when we do Enchanted, Enchanted 2, and the yet-to-be-announced Enchanted 3, uh, that he is uh, actually Aaron Kruger. Is he he the guy that that will get the line in the the second Enchanted film? It happened again? Can can that... Can can we give it to him? Can we give it to Patrick Dempsey? Uh, Now I'm thinking about the second Enchanted movie. (laughs) That trailer is good. Um, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna get into this movie. I I said we were gonna delay for another ten minutes, and by, by goodness, we did. Um, no, so we we've got this new cast. We're in this Hollywood setting. The idea is, I I really like the fact that they jump ahead of the last movie was about the fallout from sort of the fallout, or at least the. Um, maybe kind of escalation of the stakes or the, the change in the plot after the release of a movie based on the events of the first movie. So it was like scream two is about stab one, uh, or is, or it takes place after stab one is released. Uh, and this one, they jump ahead to stab three, uh, which gives us a lot of time for the characters to age and kind of go be in new spots to start this movie. Um, and, and go in different directions. Uh, but also makes it so that they can talk about like, this movie that because there is no scream three, we, we don't have events to base this movie on. So the, the trilogy in universe 
is is moving ahead and creating a movie that is supposed to be a capstone on a trilogy to existing events. Yeah. And then also this the plot of this movie is happening while they're trying to make that movie. Uh, and that's really fun. That that opens up a lot of doors. They recast all the all the actors. Reese Witherspoon is uh, sort of Tatum. Uh, new new character, but also sort of Tatum. Um, we have... Uh, well, yeah. Uh, pa- Patrick Warburton yeah. uh, is, is uh, the bodyguard for not Gail Weathers, mm-hmm. who is... Parker Posey? Parker Posey, yeah. Oh, she's so uh, good. Wait, Tyler, yeah. you said Reese Witherspoon. She's not in this movie. It's a Jenny McCarthy. Is it really? Mm-hmm. I just watched the entire movie thinking that was Reese Witherspoon. That's funny. Because I literally have never confused the two of them. But yeah, that, was... <laughs> that means Britain's better than you, Tyler. How yeah, do you feel? <laughs> more podcast points. Sorry, that's not a meaner than I intended it to. I apologize. No, uh, this was uh, Santa's daughter, <laughs> Jenny McCarthy. Is that who I'm? Continue. <clears throat> well, and you've also got <laughs> um, my brain. Kenny or Bud from the Cosby Show as a black character, <laughs> um, who doesn't make it to the end or do right. anything except me <laughs> do anything <laughs> except me go. That's not Dulé Hill. Um, that's a psych reference. Um, I and also the great Emily Mortimer. From Thirty Rock and one of my favorite movies, Lars and the Real Girl, as not Sydney, who I thought she I, was the I, killer for a minute. I love her in the newsroom. Uh, oh, she's okay, spectacular in that. She's such a good actor, man. She's she's terrific. Um, yeah, she's one of the. Uh, yeah, they they try and play her off as the killer, and eh, yeah. I feel I feel like at this point it's kind of tired in terms of trying to kind of lay the breadcrumbs to be like, oh, anyone could be the yeah. killer, and. I don't know. I, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest. The, the biggest kind of issue with this movie is that third act twist is the reveal of the killer. Yes. I did sure. not care for that at all. And yeah. maybe it's just the specter hater in me for being like, oh, we've got a guy who's the author of all Sydney's pain. It all goes back to the beginning somehow in a very convoluted manner. Um, although I guess this is more uh, retroactively. It's more like the... Uh, Sandman Spider-Man 3 reveal than it is the Blofeld Spectre reveal, but it's still I, I, I don't I don't really care for that. And also it's it's interesting because I feel like just by virtue of having two killers in the previous films and then downgrading to one killer, I feel like that just kind of ruins the effect because you're waiting yeah. for a double beat. You're waiting for two reveals exactly the end, yeah. and then it that- never happens. The the reveal in this feels it's it's not as bad as if they only went with Timothy Oliphant in the last movie. Yeah. Um the like that that and the motivation is a little more interesting than that, but it still feels like they did something that is very again, it's it's very like horror movie trope or or even I mean not even really like horror movie. It's it's the uh, your your family comes back to haunt you, and you have a. I mean, <laughs> Spectre uh, has the uh, sort of uh, mystery uh, sibling that you didn't know you had kind of thing going on. Like, yeah, it, it's it's it, it's just something that like movies do when they sort of get to the bottom of the well. Also, I have sent they uh, run an out image. Of steam. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have sent 
an image of of the two that was in my mind. Sure. I don't no, know. I get I, it. That's now that I see it, I'm like, huh. Well, and like, yeah, that's re- right. Re- I think like Reese in the two thousand in two thousand. I get it. Right. That's what like my brain was trying to calibrate backwards, and I was just like, oh yeah, that's that's definitely Reese with a spoon. Yeah. So nice that's sense. interesting. Yeah. My brain. Uh, is a little broken and I'm very tired. So I, spent a, I did watch this movie yeah. yesterday. Well, I spent a good portion of the movie on IMDb trying to figure out if Scott Foley and Patrick Dempsey were on Party of Five with Nev Campbell. Because I was like, oh, mm-hmm. is, did maybe Scott Foley play her brother on that? Didn't. It was Scott the, Wolf. There's a lot of people who look like yeah. other people in this. Because the, um, what's his name who gets blown up <laughs> by, uh, uh, oh yeah, very... the skinny guy. Yes. Not Dewey. His name is Tom in the film. The actor yeah, I, is Matt Kiesler. Matt yeah, Kiesler. he is somebody who I don't think I know from anything, but he Same. looks like I should know him from yeah. something. Like Matt he's got Kiesler's that, big that move. <laughs> right. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Coming to Hulu this fall. That's such a specific reference. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Man, I love when, I love when God just sets us up. I love that. That's so good. Uh, he gets blown up. <laughs> it, it, it was a big move, I'll say. <laughs> what if that's how Max Kubler's um, big move ends, is that they move into the new house and then it explodes? Oh, Dad <laughs> bought an old abandoned mine again. Uh, this is a holler in West Virginia. What are we thinking? Uh, we also have, is it, Emily Mortimer, who is the yep. yeah yeah, uh, she is uh, not Sydney, um, who again is so uh, like I was talking about last movie. I thought that the cameraman had something to do with the big final twist. Yeah. Um, and I for some reason I was thinking the same thing here. I was like, D- is she one? Is she involved in the killing somehow? Because like she you know is trying to like be a copycat of Sydney and like some sort of I yeah, don't that's, know weird that's... jealousy thing. No, the she she gets murdered. <laughs> yeah, that's that's um Tyler, I don't know if you were just busy looking at Reese Witherspoon pictures. <laughs> I, I I I had mentioned how I thought like a lot of the red herrings and yes. kind of all that no, stuff. No, I'm I'm was, I'm agreeing with that. Like it was not great and it felt very telegraphed. I'm like, yeah, she's not the killer. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um There there's quite a bit of that. Uh, we have the man who is uh, probably supposed to be kind of a John Carpenter deal, John, John Milton, um, who's supposed to be like a legendary horror creator uh, in in this universe, uh, played by Lance Hendrickson, um, which obviously is always great to get him in something. Uh, but I don't. Like he doesn't even die. Predator, my favorite yeah. film. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't even die in this. Like he, the whole he does. the whole. The, oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. He gets um, his throat slashed, but it's like it's it's very quick and it's not super over. The no, top. I I just was totally like forget because I I was because of the fact that that third act is so long, um, yeah. And I kind of kept waiting for it to go somewhere else. Like <clears throat> basically, the structure of this movie is like because we we have been all over the place so far <laughs> to, to ground ourselves a little bit here. Sydney is in uh, the like I don't even know where she's supposed to be, but she, she somewhere in the west coast, I think, off off in some mountains somewhere, basically, um, or like on a farm. 
Um, she is she is living alone. She has a bunch of security systems and gates and doors. Uh, she has a dog, uh, which is cute. Yes. Uh, and <clears throat> she's in a, in a move that I think is really nice. And then like again, talking about some of the ideas this franchise still has about like undercutting and, and <clears throat> kind of creating interesting ideas off of horror trips. She's uh, d- working as a like crisis counselor uh, over a phone line for women to call in or, or people to call in. Um, I think specifically. I think it's like yeah, I think they say yeah, like women's um, support hotline or something. They call it saying like you know I'm in an abusive relationship or something like that, and it's a really like tender kind of human thing. Like they they play it very earnestly of of her like being there for women who are also traumatized by you know she was almost murdered by her her boyfriend, um, and like people who are also traumatized by violence like and and sort of have this deep mistrust of other people because of how often they have betrayed her um it's really nice i I really like that they do that and i do like that the overall idea behind this movie is her continuing to process that uh and sort of fighting back against it and like getting a chance to like kind of not just escape the situation but like be part of sort of the the way that the, the situation resolves um they they really do the like halloween 2018 thing with jamie lee curtis uh 18 years before that movie (laughs) like they there are several moments that are very similar to that um that we can we can get into um i like that that is the the idea behind the movie kind of the underlying theme is that she's gonna get uh to kind of take back her own um agency i guess in in controlling her life uh, but we set some of that up early. We set up the fact that she still has a lot of kind of trauma about her mother. She uh, has a nightmare about her mother uh, coming to haunt her. Um, and then she kind of disappears for a big chunk of the movie. Uh, and we spend a lot of time on the other characters. And I feel like she enters the third act way too late. Like it, it ends up being a, a really long time before she's uh, both in before she both shows up in the movie again, and then after that, when she shows up to the third act, um, we'll, we'll talk about the structure of that, but, like, they kind of take her out, and it's really focused on Gale and Dewey, uh, and I guess the new cast of the movie, they don't get a whole a whole lot oh, of no, play. Like, for a good um, chunk, Gale is practically the main character yeah. for a, at least half the movie, it feels yeah. like. Which they're... And Parker they, Posey's her sidekick. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Um, and Patrick Warburton is there. Uh, and that's fun too. Yes. Um, <laughs> he, uh, he gets, he gets a good death. Uh, and, uh, and he keeps calling Dewey Dewdrop and that's fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the movie really focuses on them and it's like, they're trying to investigate this, uh, detective man from Grey's Anatomy is also trying to help and they're all sort of trying to piece together what's happening. There's some fun stuff where they, they sort of reveal, um, I mean the, kind of the thrust of the movie and the thrust of the motivation for the villain is ultimately that they uncover that Maureen Prescott, Sydney's mother was the, or was an, an actress who was kind of exploited, um, in a, you know, this was well before the Weinstein Weinstein scandal broke. Um, but what is that face? I mean, I, I... 
did you guys look at the producer credits on this? Well, yeah, I mean, they had like a, isn't there like a big uh, Woody Allen? Another one? I don't know what I'm missing. <laughs> no, it's Dimension Films. It's it's yeah. the Weinstein's yeah. company right, that right. made this movie. And there and there was like a yeah. Wes Craven like argument with him, I believe, or like some sort of like fallout or like uh, some there were there was tension around this movie. I know the the scenes where Lance Henriksen is talking about what happened made my skin crawl. I'm like, yep. oh, they their names are on this. This is, this is just the weirdest thing. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, to me, I read it as like Wes Craven, like is very much in the same way that the previous movies have talked about like horror tropes. And the last movie is digging into, um, you know, kind of the, the fallacy of movies causing violence and things like that. Like he's digging into, Oh, this is how movies are made and it's bad. <laughs> like <in> this, <laughs> that, that is a big, a big thrust of this movie, which I appreciate. Um, and I, I, I think that's very much intentional. Like <laughs> I get the feeling that that was on purpose. Um, we just we just needed so. a, a, a the guy who played Roger Ebert in Godzilla, who didn't play Roger Ebert, but he was essentially Roger Ebert. We needed a, that sure. version of the wine scenes <laughs> yeah. in this one. Instead, we get Lance Hen- Hendrickson being a good actor and stuff. Right. Right. How dare he? And cool and fun, and it's nice to see him. Yes. There is a so. I feel like I keep like scanning all through this movie. I don't know if we want to stop on eh. a particular point. Um, Agreed. <laughs> but the, well, That's spinning nice. off of that, I mean, the the third act takes place in this mansion that is supposed to be like a mansion where Hollywood parties would have yeah. happened, and there are secret rooms where people would have been taken to audition, and like it's supposed to be upsetting. Uh, and there is sort of a not blink and you'll miss it, but sort of a not really addressed or not really. It's it's like laid laid out there for you to kind of piece together, but isn't like really they don't really spend time like looking too closely at it. Uh, there's a part where uh, it's actually how Parker Posey dies, which is another like yeah, come on, like she, she just like gets murdered. Yeah. Um, she is on the other side of a a, a one way mirror right uh, that looks into a bedroom, uh, and that's at front that she gets into from like a secret passageway. Um, so that's like upsetting. Uh, and they don't like they end up shooting the mirrors out. Which, again, talking about the third act, uh, the third act is also the most that these movies have ever been. Like the don't go in there, mm-hmm. don't look around there, pay attention to what happened to the killer. Right, L- right. Look behind you before you move. Like it definitely falls into very uh, we have to make find ways for the characters to get killed off mm-hmm. horror movie uh pathways but yeah that was a thing that happened uh yeah they dropped a reference to that yeah. uh being a thing they also find the secret screening room uh that was used for some of these wild parties and other you know more horrible acts um so like uh, there's an underpinning there that is is very much I'm going to kind of put this out there. I, I assume this is Wes Craven or maybe Aaron Cougar or, you know, whoever. Uh, somebody, it, it feels like, was kind of putting this out there to be like, by the way, this is like a criticism of Hollywood. <laughs> like, here, here's something that's that's kind of put out there and we are being made by the Weinstein brothers. So we're just going to kind of leave it as is um, and not interrogate it too much. But it's a reference to something. Um, so that that was interesting for me and i I was i was glad that that was 
that very real thing was addressed and, and sort of not shied away from. Um, but, and I almost think that you have to find some way to make that connect back sure. to the motivation of the killer and, and sort of the plot of the movie more. Right. Um, because we, like it says, you know, this is like Maureen went through these horrible things uh, while trying to become an actor. Uh, and I don't Do we want to go ahead and get into the villain? Sure. <laughs> we're just, we're just going to keep rolling through it. Yeah, may as well. It's Matthew sure. Good. <laughs> He's back. <clears throat> as the man who caused World War One. Yep. Uh, Lance Hendrickson is Stalin. <laughs> and, uh, does, does that make Patrick Dempsey evil Lincoln? Patrick Dempsey's <laughs> evil Lincoln, yeah. Um, maybe let's talk, let's let's address Patrick Dempsey real quick because Patrick Dempsey is another red herring, and they kind of like like so he he borrows uh, Dewey's phone at one point. And then I think Dewey's phone is used to call uh, somebody, Sydney, maybe somebody at some point in the movie. The The entire premise of this is that the killer is using a voice modulator to sound like other people, including uh, to sound like Cotton Weary and ultimately end up murdering him in uh, the beginning of this and uh, sort of our, our staple, like here's our 15 minute sequence that ends with, two people dead uh cotton weary and his and his girlfriend get murdered i'm in a tense like i think well done scene overall um that was a little weird to me because it felt like the killer was kind of trying to set up cotton weary to be uh, to take the fall for the murder of his girlfriend and i thought there was going to be something there and he just kind of gets murdered but uh well uh (laughs) and then uh patrick dempsey uh, yeah, he uses the phone from Dewey at some point. He has a file that's like really detailed and has like a lot of photos of Sydney that like could just be a detective file, but Sydney is kind of reading it like, mm, I don't know about this. And she gets a call from the killer at one point and looks up and realizes that Patrick Dempsey is not on the phone. So she's like, okay, so I guess it's not him. Like there's a couple of moments where she's kind of like mistrustful of him. Um, there's also kind of some chemistry between them but they, they they play with that a bit. Uh, and then in the finale, when he shows up, he shows up right after the killer disappears. So they're like, are you the who? Uh, uh? And then the killer shows up immediately and kind of puts that to rest and stabs him, but he doesn't die and ends up surviving to eat popcorn and watch a movie uh, with Nev Campbell. So good for him. Uh, <laughs> and, and also Dewey and Gale. Um, but yeah, it's another, like, there's a lot of red herrings in the movie that I think are set up pretty well. Uh, there, there's one that kind of frustrates me where, uh, the director man, uh, who spoilers is our villain, uh, <laughs> Scott Foley. Yeah. He, uh, <laughs> not, not Tatum and apparently not Reese Witherspoon, uh, breaks his, director trophy thing i guess it's supposed to be an academy award i don't really know no he hasn't gotten that far i don't it's know a, it's, it's a music video award 
Uh, okay. Okay. Some, for something. Okay. Like a music video, presumably. Um, uh, he finds that it it fell on the ground and broke because she was like talking to him and like dropped it accidentally or something. Uh, and so he thinks it's a message to him. And so I was like, oh, that, I, I always like those kind of things. Uh, I think I've talked about this before with like aliens, speaking of Lance Hendrickson. Um, I like the multiple angles. I mean, Scream 2 kind of had this with both the villains kind of having different motivations and like everyone uh, having a lot of different people in play that could potentially be the killer. It's It's neat when there are like a lot of people who are have different motivations and are worried about different things throughout the movie. And like, you've got all these, these moving pieces. Uh, but that never really comes up again. He gets interrogated because the killer, uh, uses his voice to call. I guess maybe he doesn't really use his voice. The modulator. To call Jenny yeah. McCarthy. I don't know. <laughs> I guess he just talks and call, calls yeah. it normally, but it, we of course think that it's sure. him modulating his voice because we don't know who the killer is. Um, so like that doesn't really go anywhere. Uh but like I don't know. The the movie sets up a lot of interesting angles that the killer could be and then doesn't take any of them. <laughs> and and then kind of pulls pulls back the the rabbit out of the hat and is like, "Oh, it's this guy." And it's like, "Okay." Yeah. Like Good. at that point I was starting to suspect him just cuz we were running out of characters for me exactly. to suspect. I was like, "I <laughs> guess it's him." I do like uh I, I had this thought during the movie that at this point and obviously I just know by virtue of the cast list of the most recent one that Sydney and Gail and Dewey are going to keep surviving. And I was like, man, I wonder, does that, I was thinking about, does this damage the ability for tension because we know those characters keep making it through? And I went, well, not necessarily because they keep taking main, like major characters and killing them in the next movie. Mm. Like Randy survives, but dies in the second one. Right. Cotton is killed off early on. So it kind of does set up the, it may not followed through on, but it's kind of like, hey, just because he was survived the last one doesn't mean he's right. going to survive this one. So we can't promise that Gail and Dewey and Sydney are going to make it through. Um, which, which I, I, I think is a good move. But then in this one, it also just kind of sets up a bunch of characters. Like you're just all bait. You're just yes. You're just here for the body count. Like, despite the fact that Parker Posey is fantastic, <laughs> which she always is, and I'm glad that this movie knew to utilize her. And knew to give her a lot of room and space and dialogue. And she's very, very funny in it. There's a great bit after uh, she's like been yelling at Patrick Dempsey or somebody. No, Dewey. And she's just like wailing. She's all nervous because she dies next in the script. And she's talking to Patrick Warburton. And then the, the scene ends with her just leaping up into his arms, which in a bit, which mm-hmm. I'm assuming is improvised. Um, I feel like a lot of her stuff with... Uh, uh, Courtney Cox is maybe not improvised, but like, I feel like a lot of that comes from Parker Posey um, and just her very, very good comedic timing and abilities. Uh, she, I was happy to see her. And I, they, they make a joke at some point in the movie about, Oh, did, did it not work out with Brad Pitt? And I can't remember who they were talking, who they addressed that to, but her character's first name is Jennifer and last name is mm-hmm. Joe Lee. I don't remember when all that happened in real life. I'm just saying. Yeah, I really liked Parker Posey in this, and I felt like she was a character that could have been very annoying. Yes. Um, but she ended up being really funny and really yeah. likable. It's and kind of the I stew was, thing from the first movie. And I was genuinely <laughs> bothered when she died. I'm like, Same, I kind of yeah. wish she made it. <laughs> I know. I want her to yeah. hang on. So her death scene, we, we talked about the, the bedroom set up there. 
Uh, she's behind this one-way mirror and trying to bang on the walls to get Dewey and Gale to notice her. And Dewey just starts shooting <laughs> yeah. mirrors. Uh, and then I don't really understand what happened because he shoots out the mirrors in such a way that, like, it it seems like there's only one way to, uh, into this sort of alcove that has these <clears throat> the viewing space behind these mirrors. And he shoots them out in a way that should block off the ability to go back down the passageway. Uh, and he keeps shooting them. And then eventually he shoots one and Parker Vosey falls out and she's been stabbed and, and is dying. Um, <clears throat> where did the killer go? Yeah. They kind of just cut <laughs> and the killer's gone. <laughs> that was weird. <laughs> like there wasn't really like a room for that to happen. Yeah, I don't I know don't about think. that bit, but I th- I thought Dewey was like purposely not trying to shoot like straight ahead. I thought he was aiming up, so he was maybe trying not to hit anyone directly and just break the glass. Yeah, I could be wrong. It, it, you, I don't. Know. You might be right. It, it just is not. Well, it's a setup and payoff not very... for later when he's shooting the killer and should be aiming up because Sydney at one point <laughs> just goes Dewey, Dewey, head, <laughs> and then he shoots him in the head. Yes, that was funny. That's pretty good. I like that. Pretty good bit. Um, who else did we like that gets murdered? <laughs> I, I feel like we need to circle back to, to the bad guy. Okay, and we, can, we can land on that. Because he, he goes, he monologues for yeah. some time. Yes. Well, um, it's, the, it's the problem with introducing a villain uh, as a new character who has to have a compelling motivation. And it's, like, it's why the last movie works so well, because it's like, they do this with timothy oliphant of like oh is it gonna be this guy it's gonna be this guy. oh it's gonna be this guy oh wow and then they kill him or knock him out and then it's like oh it's actually billy loomis's mother whoa that's okay that's pretty good uh this time it is sydney's long lost brother half brother that marine prescott had while she was in hollywood for two years uh and he is he is the one he is the author of all her pain he is the one who uh got a video of marine like sleeping with uh cotton weary and and billy's dad yeah like basically is the one who like figured out like oh okay so uh she's cheating with people and i'm gonna get this kid to go murder her so he says that he's the one who like motivates Billy to go uh kill her. That's like <laughs> And it does beg the question, where was he in Scream 2? Like, did right. he affect any of that at all? Has this He was in like, film school, Alex. I know I was waiting for him to go. I've I've been behind the scenes at literally every turn and we just right. do like these really terrible like montage flashbacks showing him like sneaking across the university. Randy yeah, was it, one of mine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I... The, it's stupid. It I doesn't mean, really seem... Stupid. It doesn't really seem to require him to be a film director. And that yeah. I like the uh, high-level concept of like, okay, the director is the murderer. That's fun. Like, he talks about that. He's like, I'm the director. I get to make the call. Like, yeah, that that's a neat thing for a film. Again these movies all have these, these fun layers to them. I like the idea of the murder is the, uh, director of the movie inside of the movie. 
and he gets to say who lives and dies right like that that's a fun angle but like he's a he's a comic relief character for most of the movie uh and then they pivot him really hard to this it's already kind of hard to take the performance seriously because he's such a comic relief early on yeah who's just like so worried about his career or whatever and then they do this and it's like i don't why did you have to be a director with this kind of status in order to like you didn't the movie did not attract sydney to come to hollywood like the murders did right. <laughs> she, you, you also went to her house and threatened her so then she left <laughs> like then, then, what all, i don't it, I, I almost wonder if it not to play monday morning movie maker but if it would have worked better if he was like this failed director who you know his biggest success so far has been music videos and he's so up you know creatively stunted by having to do stab three he decides to like basically make a snuff film and then it sure. turns out he's been filming all these murders it's the murders within the movie and he that's yeah. he's gonna release that under like alan smithy or something and get that that's gonna be his opus that he's he's that to, to kind of illustrate the the crazy lengths directors will go to in pursuit of quote artistic satisfaction mm-hmm. i wonder if that would have been a more interesting I... and zany kind of yeah. twist for the trilogy where it's like i like that quite a bit yeah. the answer is yes britain <laughs> i'm sad the they didn't yes. do it that way kind of, kind of like how uh uh timothy oliven's reasoning in the second one was ridiculous but that worked for like yeah it's ridiculous it's supposed to be go on yeah but yeah i well, almost wish they they'd been like we're doing three killers we got we got sure. a twist <laughs> and, and just, like if we're gonna have him monologuing for half an hour Go go for it. Have another twist and then another twist sure, after right. that. Like, yeah. the, have it be like Sydney's. Like, no, I was the killer all along. <laughs> like, just just go. No, I really think I really think they should have had Sydney, the actor actress playing Sydney, also be in on it. Like, I think yeah. that that would be interesting. They they do say at one point that she slept with John Milton to get the yeah. part, which is like, oh, and you killed her. Okay, yeah, yeah. thanks for that. I, uh, I almost wish, like, uh, bring back Randy, be like, Randy was never dead, and he was actually <laughs> the killer. Like, yeah. just, that would be good. I, I really <laughs> don't like the approach where, because, I, I mean, I liked the, the Jamie Can- Kennedy cameo. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the fact that we get yes. him in some form in the film, kind of being like, oh, I died. If it happens again, here's yeah. the rules. It um, is like a weirdly forced scene where they bring in Anne Hathaway's friend from Princess Diaries. Right? Yes. To be that like that scene I loved because it has extreme Twin Peaks energy. Sure. <laughs> I don't know. I can't really explain it. It's just like very like we're we're gonna have this this oddball sister of Randy show up yeah. and she's gonna have a DVD or a or a VHS that has a taped recording that Randy did of these uh crazy rules for, for uh, being in the yeah. third movie in a, in a trilogy and like what makes the difference between a sequel and a trilogy mm-hmm. uh or just another sequel and a trilogy and like laying all that out and saying like if you're watching this i've i've died and i've had yeah. my sister come bring this to you because there's more incidents or whatever like that is so wild and fun and i was totally on board for it and then when it ends uh, because like, dewey come back we all miss you and then she leaves to watch nuclear test footage or something <laughs> <laughs> big issue for me was like randy's breakdown of like okay here's it's a trilogy it's the third one here are the ground rules and he he puts so much emphasis and this is really just to telegraph i am the author of all your pain he's like you have to circle back to the beginning and there's a big yeah. twist reveal about uh, that recontextualizes the whole thing were a lot of 
trilogies at this point doing that? Return of the Jedi does. He mentions another one. I mean, it kind of does. I mean, Luke and Leia, I guess is. Like I said, kind of. Yeah. But was well, he mentions like, two trilogies? Ba- like Back to the Future Three doesn't do that. And I'm like Cowboys. And then... <laughs> but no, but but like yeah. It, it's kind of like uh, the thing that I thought of was um, in X Men Apocalypse. There's a scene where they go see Return of the Jedi because it's set in the 80s. Do you remember right. that it's set in the 80s? It's mm. set in the 80s. Um, and one of them has a comment that says, "I think we can all agree the third one's always the worst." And that comment never rang true for me, just because in the context of the 80s, I don't buy that that would be the perspective on a third film because there w- just wouldn't have been enough to ha- to make that statement when was jaws three? <laughs> oh well all right i might be rocky correct. three <laughs> i don't think jaws three has any interest in plot so <laughs> i don't know if that's gonna be but i don't know because uh, yeah, t3 seems... terminator 3 wasn't out yet yeah the big the big focus on like you have to go back to the beginning and there's a big twist reveal like i i don't know if that's necessarily accurate for a third film last crusade do that i mean the opening scene tells you how he got got the whip and the hat right right there's not like a twist reveal no i am literally trying to see if i can find a tv tropes uh for this yeah i just remember (laughs) uh, randy mentioning two trilogy he mentions jedi and another one but i can't remember what the other one was probably slapshot or something he um, doesn't mention Godfather, does he? Uh, may no. Well, because no. I, I was gonna say because I know at some point they talk about Godfather. That might I know they do that in the one. second one, yeah. Um, but Godfather three, I don't think does a whole lot to yeah. recontextualize the first two. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. That was just a very weird angle to take, and because this film is not as good with the satire and right. the deconstruction of film tropes, that was something I kind of latched onto of like. Oh, that's, I don't know, if you're so focused on this being a trilogy, I don't know if that's the angle I would have taken. Sure. I would have taken the angle of, and maybe this is just since we've had so many franchises since then, of nobody knows what they're doing when they get to a third film. They're just like, we have to end it somehow. So Yeah, and and also leave it open for seven more of these things. Right. I I mean, I I would have been like... Everyone could die. Everyone could live. We have absolutely no idea, like completely right. uncharted waters because nobody can finish this off in a satisfying way. <laughs> I think that's how Randy should have ended. He's like, I, but I can guarantee you it'll suck. And then it just cuts. <laughs> Weird. Yeah. Well, and also now, like, there are no trilogies anymore. There's just world building franchises, which is great. And I love it. Is it um, really just Back to the Future? Is that the only one that hasn't been? I guess Godfather, kind of. Yeah, I love having homework for hobbies. I um, no, uh, uh that's my new podcast, homework for hobbies. <laughs> yeah. If you don't think we'll be talking about X Men continuity errors in every episode, you'd be wrong. <laughs> and and or, um, it's I heard. I'm sure it's fine. I haven't watched it. It's probably. <clears throat> a-okay i like diego luna um do we want to talk about speaking of star wars one of the the cameo in this movie that didn't make me annoyed <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if i know which one you're <laughs> carrie fisher's in it oh, and there's yeah, a yeah, nice yeah. little she has all the records and there's a bit where she's talking to courtney cox uh 
And they keep going around like, you look like, yeah, I know. Shut up. And she doesn't want to be compared to the thing. She looks like Carrie Fisher. She's like, do you want me to tell you who you look like? It's, like, that's she's, cute. She's playing this, like, uh, wizened, weathered yeah. uh, assistant lady uh, who, I think, does she, like, have a cigarette in her hand the whole time? Probably. I feel like she should if she doesn't. <laughs> like, she's just very, like, like, it's a, it's a. What's her face from Monsters Inc. Basically, yeah, she Roz, uh, Roz, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, she does make a joke that uh, uh, the actress that, that was in Star Wars had to sleep with George Lucas in order to get the part. I uh, I bet that she and Parker Posey were a lot of fun together in between mm-hmm. takes. Like, I that I I would love to hear that. That sounds just fun. That sounds like a good time <laughs> for me, and I mean that sincerely. Like that would be great. Yeah. The other one is Jay and Silent Bobber in the beginning, and I don't know why, and I didn't like it. I mean, it's probably because they were just shooting one uh, of the movies, and th- sure. those are also Dimension, I think. Okay. Um, I have no concerns. It was perfect. <laughs> they should have. It been, didn't like ruin the movie been, for me. They should have been the killers. <laughs> shot, shot uh, oh, oh, okay. Now we've got a trilogy <laughs> <laughs> that that adds new meaning to Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back with actual murder. We'll we'll get to the the view askew averse at some point. Well, maybe, maybe. Well, I got to take a vacation at some point. No, that's what I was saying. I, I messaged you guys when that happened because yeah. I was like, we have to. We should have done the view askew askew universe up to this point, and then done the scream trilogy and then bounce between them. Sure, because uh, clearly they're connected. Clearly, yeah, right there. Yeah. We don't. They don't have Tusk. They don't have Yoga Hosers. It's like how we're gonna do all those like Scooby Doo movies because Batman's in them, right? Yeah, Space Jam Two and such. Yeah, for sure. You guys remember that scene in Whiplash when uh, uh, J.K. Simmons keeps demanding that Miles Teller just yell at the top of his lungs, "I'm upset." Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'll, I'll just say like the movie for the most part was kind of a flat line for me. Just like it's it's fine, it's there. I'm watching it. I'm not I'm not yeah. annoyed. I'm not bored. It's it's just kind of serviceable. Yeah. Um, the only thing that really got me was the final scene. Um, sure. I really liked Dewey proposing to Gale that and going. Good, yeah. This is probably not going to work, but let's give it a shot. Maybe we'll both be wrong. I I really like that. That seems I don't know that that no, seemed very true to both their characters. Um, it didn't feel like it suddenly got sappy out of nowhere yeah. and just like completely against what their relationship is. Um, and then the final moment where Sydney um is going to join them and watch a movie and she looks behind her as the door kind of blows open, um, and she lets go and she's like, "I'm not gonna go check that and I'm just gonna go. I, I'm at peace now." Get a cool breeze going. Yeah, it is it's, it's, it's a nice moment, but also at the same time, maybe you should check. <laughs> it's also, I mean, also just like close the door. Yeah. Right. In, energy. You want a raccoon to get in there. I like. Right. Um, <laughs> Scream four. It's a raccoon. Oh no! What well, happened again? Oh, as as long as all the Scott Foley monologuing was, his their fight, him and Sydney's fight, that is like rough. Yeah. I feel like the sound design in that is really intense. Like there's a lot of impact in that fight from both of them. Like they're both just punching each other full force and throwing each other into tables and stuff. It's, it's pretty, uh, uh, impactful. 
I, I wish I wish they had a prior relationship that I cared about that way that them having such a violent sure. you know confrontation there would actually matter. Mm-hmm. It was Henry Winkler. He comes back. He's the killer. That would be good. It turns out I never He's died. Like, I I almost feel like they maybe they should have done supernatural. Like I I just I think that I mean that would try- have been the Silent Bob option. I've literally been looking around uh, the internet this entire time trying to see if I can find. I don't. I can't really think of any examples of the family thing happening before this, aside from Star Wars. I don't know what the other one he references is. So you know, maybe we're missing one. Um, but yeah, I I feel like that's a. It's Halloween three season of the witch completely recontextualizes <laughs> Halloween one in a way. Um, but yeah, I don't. I don't I don't know what that's referencing necessarily and I just feel like it's like it, it almost needs to be crazier. Yeah. What if it was like Sydney's twin? That would be fun. What what if it like so Nev Campbell could play both the killer and her herself as Sydney? Like I think there there's a lot of things that I think would have worked better than this. Oh, that um, would be really fun. No, you know what would be great? The opening scene it's revealed when Cotton and his wife get killed, like the killer takes off her mask and it's, sure. it's Nev Campbell. Of course it's her twin, but it's, it's, right. you know, everyone, you'll, you'll and think the for the rest of the movie. Think, Why does Sydney just kill him? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that would be I think, neat. I think that would be good. Um, I, I just think that there's, there's oh, God, uh, yeah. and, sorry. Godfather's the other, what? I just looked it up. Godfather's the other trilogy he reveals. Okay. He mentions. I, I, disagree with that being grouped like that yeah it's not <laughs> really make same, a whole lot of sense to me same deal um but i think the uh the the bigger problem is that i mean this movie is two hours um sydney i i'm probably exaggerating i feel like she kind of rejoins the cast around the halfway mark uh has some conversations with them goes to the movie set and gets uh in sort of a confrontation with ghostface uh and runs around her old house uh a, a reconstruction of her old house mm-hmm. to escape which is fun uh she does roll off the awning much like uh and, and land on the the yard much like michael does in <laughs> halloween um which is interesting uh but kind of Basically, she escapes from it, from in there. That's probably a ten minute scene, maybe five minute, maybe not. It's not that long. Um, but that happens. She freaks out. Everyone kind of freaks out. They take her to the police precinct and leave her there to be safe. Then uh, Dewey and Gale and not Gale, they all go to uh, the mansion where this party is happening to celebrate the director's birthday. The director's name is Roman. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's it's a, a reference, reference to Roman mythology, which is sort of the blueprint, sure. the original story. He does have a big will. chin, <laughs> uh, and that's what Romans liked. Um, <laughs> they, that's that's how they chose their gods. Right. Like you have the biggest chin, <laughs> let's do it. That's why Robert um, Zadar was so uh, adored. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> All right. They, next week we're reviewing Samurai Cop. It's come to this. Yeah. Yes. At long last, it is my birthday month. <laughs> uh, are you the killer? Nah, I'll never <laughs> tell. Uh, they have the 
big scene at the mansion and and this i mean the the cast of not scream getting killed takes a good 20 minutes yeah. of everyone running around and making some very silly decisions uh that jada peak and smith would have uh torn the mini one for yeah uh, were she watching this movie um and then we we get to the end of that and then Sydney shows up, I guess, right after... No, the killer finally takes down Dewey and Gale, but doesn't kill them. Uh, and puts them in the main foyer area. And Sydney shows up. And the detective shows up. Sydney shoots uh, the killer a bunch of times. And then he disappears. And it's like, oh, is he supernatural? No, he just has a bulletproof vest. Uh, as we as as Roman reveals later. Um and then, yeah, we we have uh, another, you know, five or ten minute sequence of her running around and escaping, and she finds the hidden passageway behind the bookcase, uh, and the killer knows how to get there, so he also goes there, and they have the confrontation, and Roman has his monologuing, and Gail and Dewey manage to get it. Gail, uh, Dewey at some point electrocutes himself to turn off the lights? Sure. It was a strange, <laughs> it just like happened. And I was like, wait, what? And then like, why did this change anything? Then, then, uh, the detective man shows up. I don't know. That was weird. Um, and, uh, somewhere in there, Roman kills Milton. Uh, and we, we have another long, like the back half of this movie feels like people just running from Ghostface or people fighting Ghostface. Uh, most of them get murdered until Sydney fights him. Sydney and and Roman have some good moments there. Like Sydney, sort of finally is like, "Screw you! Like stop trying to put blame on other people for your own actions. Like you have a choice. Everyone has a choice. You you need to give this up." And like has some Nev Campbell plays it so well. Like she has some really some really great stuff there where she is just like. I, I'm just gonna scream at you. Like, I'm so done with this. Like she has a line uh, that that her like big her big line in this one, which is not as good as the previous two movies because I don't remember what it was, but I remember thinking it was all right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I know what you're talking about. Like basically, she sort of uh, just is like, "This is a bunch of crap." Yeah. I'm gonna fight you, and they they get into sort of a brawl. Um, he almost kills her. Dewey shocks the lights into not being on. And then the rest of the scene takes place in the dark and nothing really changes. Uh, and then they fight some more. And eventually uh, she stabs. Yeah. Eventually she stabs Roman. Uh, he does the thing where he gets up again and Dewey shoots him a bunch of times and then shoots him in the head. And like it, it's so long. Yeah. It's it's so much. It just does not stop. Uh, and there's not a lot that's inventive about it. It's not super enjoyable to watch. It's not really creatively done. Uh, it just keeps going. And that's really where it's like, okay, I, you, you've lost me. Um, when, when they do the, the killer gets up and almost... Uh, it, it, really, it really is like settling into the tropes of horror movies and just being like, yeah. this is what we do now, right? It's like, no, <laughs> you find ways to make that interesting. So... Yeah, I do want to highlight Nev Campbell again. Like she's really, really good in this one, and mm-hmm. 
I think part of the reason it stuck out to me so much is one, I've just learned to pay attention to and value that performance, but also because there wasn't as much around her. I think she was able to to take mm. up more room for me. Whereas in the last two movies, she's one of the many great things in the movie. We talked about this in the last episode, how it's almost easy to, she's like so naturally good in it. You kind of forget that like, yeah, you're, you have all these other things to talk about. You're like, oh, right. But also one of the key elements to this is her because she is the movie. And then in this one, there wasn't as much to like steal her, her sunshine, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and so it just stuck out to me even more how good she is. Like, I really like the sequence where she's running through the replica of her house. Even if there was a lot of like, why, Sydney, why are you specifically doing any of making any of these decisions? I like the framing of her. I, I like the ideas in that scene yeah. of her confronting her, her old room and her old life and doing the thing where she opens the bedroom door and then opens the closet door to see if they lock against each other and, you know, going out the window and down the set and everything. And I, I, I like that because I like the idea of it. And I really liked how Campbell played it. Um, but it was also the whole time I was like, this is staged in a weird way and I don't really buy it, <laughs> sure. but okay. I buy her. She's amazing. I, I think this is probably the best performance by her. Oh yeah. I, I would and buy it. She's super like, good. yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's really great to watch. It, it is a nice, uh, movie to watch for her. If not, mm-hmm. definitely, definitely. I wasn't overly thrilled with the angle of, is she going crazy or not? Sure. She's having dreams about her mother. Um, the killer seems to be aware that she's having dreams about her mother because he yeah. gets into a body bag that is supposed to emulate her mom dying. Um, it's I, I don't know. I, that feels like something you would do in the second film as like we are following up on the first sure. film. And it's like she's super paranoid. She's on edge. Maybe she's starting to go crazy when you get to the third film. And it's like. I feel like she should be a bit more comfortable with all of this. Like, (laughs) I don't know that, that, that didn't really work for me, even though her performance in those scenes is quite good. I wish there had been a point where a lady had dropped off a bunch of desserts and Sydney says, where's the cookie lady? That would have been fun. Good reference. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's Danielle Harris is the one who drops it off. Yeah. Oh, that'd be good. (laughs) Hey movie. Why do you do that? (laughs) Yeah. What's Daniel Harris doing at this point, aside from about to be in a Rob Zombie movie? Uh, Seven years out, I take that back. Um, there's a part in this where the killer starts using a fax machine to send everyone threatening messages, and uh, a guy who we don't... Ma- Max Keebler uh, goes <laughs> and uh, is is looking around at, to find a light for the thing that he like the message he gets a message and he's like i can't read this the lights are off because i guess the killer shut off the lights uh, and he grabs a conveniently placed lighter which i guess the killer put there but also like the fax machine's not right there the fax machine was across the room and he like grabbed the paper and went over there and then he, he he turns the lighter on to try and see and he says like i can't see and then he picks it up and he turns the lighter on uh, and the lighter is on for long enough for the audience to read that the paper says, beware of the gas or whatever the paper says. Uh, and then he blows up and like, he specifically explodes first. <laughs> like, <laughs> if you watch it, it's like he erupts into flames as the house behind him does. Uh, I don't, I don't know what was happening there. 
uh, Emily Mortimer Mortimer is very uh, is very traumatized by that moment. Later <laughs> <in the movie. laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's fair. That was a lot. It's a lot that just happened. Patrick Warburton uh, survives the initial the initial confrontation long enough to uh, walk out with like his fr- his throat slit and a knife in his back. Yeah. Uh, and he like has this really haunting bit where he like points to his hand and points at Dewey trying to show like Dewey called him, uh, before he collapses, which is like, did he, did he die? Like thinking that Dewey was the killer? Like did did he die feeling betrayed by Dewdrop? Like that's, that's haunting. That's upsetting. (laughs) Betrayed by Dewdrop this summer on Lifetime. (laughs) I thought you were about to go with that in like a perfume commercial kind of way. That too though. (laughs) Listen. Crossover appeal by by Reese Witherspoon. The tie-in product <laughs> with the new Lifetime film. <laughs> Are we done? I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm good. You know, I think we've covered it. What are y'all giving it? I'm gonna give it a C. Didn't hate it. Didn't love it. It's got some problems, but it was fine. I think I'm going to go C minus. I'm going to do the same. I don't, because going, D, even D plus feels way too low for me. Yeah. I need something uh, between a D plus I, and a C minus. But, <laughs> but yeah, you know, I, I, this has been the, this is the one I've liked the least so far, but also like one and two are sets of our pretty high. So, you know, right. no, no harm, no foul. Um, I agree. Uh, speaking of movies that are uh, that you can watch, um, uh, I'm gonna bring back my everyone's favorite segment, the retcon mendation. This oh. is of my uh, infrequent, uh, God. yet persistent um, uh, segment where I discuss a movie that I have recently watched, but was uh, that has been discussed on the podcast before, but for which I was not here. I was not able to record an episode about this movie, so I'm doing it now. And this this week, uh, this past week, I review rewatched. Uh, that's right, Predator by John McTiernan from 1987. <laughs> okay. And now I'm going to talk about it. Uh, uh-huh. No, I mean the funny thing about Predator is I hadn't seen it in so long, and like, you get it, you know what it is before you watch it. Like mm-hmm. it's, and this is not an insult. That movie is a very shallow movie. It knows exactly what it's doing, and it does that one thing, and then you go home at the end. Um, it's a it's a macho, yep. oily '80s action movie, and it was kind of interesting. I think the thing I found the most amusing about it was its its role as a sort of relic of of that type of movie from that type of of era, I guess. And it was funny to see all these things that have been so parodied by by basically everything under the sun since then done with a sense of earnestness and sincerity and like yeah this is what we're doing these two big men are going to clasp hands and we're going to zoom in on their biceps a lot and they're going to arm wrestle in the sky like that's we're just going to do that and why why is that funny what are you talking about it's serious um so that that was amusing um you know i i I like the the 80s effects the digital effects they're not they don't hold up but they're not supposed to because they're not from 1987 (laughs) like I'm I'm having some fun. Um, none of the action sequences are that amazing to me. It's basically a movie about a bunch of action figures going into the a kid's backyard and just destroying everything. They level a bunch of trees with guns at one point. Like 
there's not a lot of like style or grace to the action sequences, but I don't think I should be asking for grace from Predator. Uh, the people, the actors are in it. Bill Duke is really good. He's, I think, genuinely good in the movie. Um, also, I did not ever think about this until the Flophouse uh, Stewart specifically brought it up, that there is an implied romantic relationship between Bill Duke and Jesse Ventura. So I went into the movie being like, ha ha ha, what, how funny. It's it's there. It's implied. I'm going to completely buy into that bit of uh, uh, movie uh conspiracy theory that like i yeah. think i i don't think we're bill duke has fallen like he was my friend and there's like a bunch of cuts between him and arnold like looking at each other knowingly like come on um but no it's Here for it. yeah you know it's fine it's a bunch of i don't know like there, there's just not a whole lot to really say about it it does exactly what it wants to do the the music by alan silvestri is very insistent it is, it is always like at at it, at the utmost. But I like that. It's these helicopters are landing. Mm-hmm. That's a tree. Like it's so earnest, and that's a good thing. Uh, I give it a C minus because I it does exactly the C is for doing exactly what it wants to do solidly. The minus is yeah, I don't probably don't need to rewatch it again. And also, <laughs> hey, why did you screw up my Hulu algorithm? Because now I can't go on there with them being like. Do you want to watch Alien versus Predator? Do you want to watch Predator Two? <laughs> do you want to watch Alien versus Predator Requiem? We could watch Predators. So, hey, Brendan, do you want like, to watch no the bear? I don't want to watch the bear. Please go watch. <laughs> but Brendan, we also did you know that Adrian Brody? We're gonna put that above the title. Stars Adrian Brody. <laughs> but like, but Britain, Britain, you don't understand. That's not because you watched Predator or Prey. That's because you do this podcast and your phone is listening to you. <laughs> oh, That's no. the reason why. Oh no. Oh. You you just reminded me. I I do want to mention that I had to watch. I don't know about y'all. I watched Scream Three by doing the Paramount Plus trial oh, on okay. Amazon. Um, because you wanted we, to. We need we need to stop with the the Paramount Plus and the the Showtime and the stars like doing the weird like parasitic relationship mm. thing with Amazon. Like, just be a streaming service or don't. Like, I don't. I'm not even really like. It, I don't think I've, I think maybe once, uh, maybe a couple of times, like while we've been doing this podcast, I, I've been like, okay, I'm going to pay for a month of this, but it never, you can just do the free trial again. It never stops you from doing the free trial. And I'm like, why are we, why, why is this the way that we are? Wait, <laughs> like, are, are you telling me I could have done the free trial for like every single one of these screen movies? I think for the last three, I did pay for a month of Showtime because I think I forgot to cancel it in time. Okay. And so I was just like, well, whatever, that's fine. I'll, I'll watch all three of them on Showtime because I did the free trial for the first one. But yes, you it, it does like weekly free trials on Amazon that you can just like constantly go do. And I'm like, what are, what are we doing? Why do you have like Scream 3 and <laughs> I, I don't know, like... Big alien mama. resurrection <laughs> and then, like why do you have this weird array of movies it just like be a thing it's okay Fig- figure it out it's okay do eventually, your own content it's fine eventually all the the streaming programs will just dump all the content that they don't own and we'll never be able to access any of it again <laughs> i except i except I, for I my, like, my blu-ray and dvd collection that's all that'll be left i would like a streaming service called movies <laughs> and I would like you to just put the movies on the streaming service and have most movies on there. I support my local library 
slash that's place that employs me to uh, yes. get these movies. And but. you are a more righteous man for it. Um, <laughs> sure am. <laughs> Sorry, the moth came back. Um, uh, oh my God, Britain is my, the moth man. It's prophecy. me the whole time. I'm the podcast, the moth. Do you guys have a recommendation or want to talk about Predator? <laughs> I, I mean, we can yes talk no. about Predator if we really want to. No, no. <laughs> I like Carl Weathers in it too. Uh, yes. Uh, oh, so you want to go with the... Uh, I am two and a half seasons into Cobra Kai. <laughs> Speaking of macho, you, you told us oily about this beforehand, and I don't know what I expected. Yeah. And I, I did, I did start this after we recorded our last episode, so it's not like something I've been <laughs> sitting on. Like I, yeah. Basically, I got through the end of uh, Harley Quinn season three, and I was like, okay, that was good. I, I hit some of the superhero stuff I, I I wanted to hit. Maybe I should move on to the Marvel shows or something. And then for some reason. I don't know if it's just uh, Britain. Maybe both of us were on the same wavelength of '80s nostalgia. I was like, "Ooh, the <laughs> C- Cobra Kai sounds pretty good right now." Um, it's delightful. Um, I don't know if I can call it amazing TV. Some of it feels slightly verging on guilty pleasure, um, but it's quite fun. And even if you're not a fan of the Karate Kid movies, or if you just know them on a very superficial level, I think there's a lot to get out of it. Um, basically it takes the whole, uh, if you've seen how I met your mother, Barney, um, you know, Patrick Harris's character is like, no, uh, Johnny, the blonde guy who everyone perceives as the bully, um, in that film is actually the hero. It's basically like, well, let's look at things from his perspective. Um, so William Zabka's kind of the lead, um, but they also give plenty of, to Ralph Macchio to do, um, and it's just really fun how they kind of revisit a lot of the stuff that happens in the first three movies. Um, I don't know if they'll pull in the Hillary Swank film um, or the Jaden Smith film. That would be interesting. Um, but yeah, it's 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 quite fun, and it's got it's got everything you want in a show. It's got fighting. It's mm-hmm. got it's got it's got high school soap opera love triangles. Okay. And it's got it's got old guys complaining about new stuff, so I love it. <laughs> Cobra Kai. <laughs> Interesting bland, you say? <laughs> <laughs> guys will literally watch Cobra Kai instead of going to therapy. Um, <laughs> no, that is good. That you've you've almost sold me on that, but I don't think you're going to bring me around to it uh, I, because I'm, I have too many. I feel closer than I've ever been to yeah. the show and to you. Um, I mean, yeah. I, I think I think the easiest sell is that the, the the first season since it was originally on YouTube's streaming service, um, <laughs> the, epi- the episodes Stop are quite short, streaming. and so like the the pilot I think is like twenty minutes. So if you watch that and you like it, keep going. Are um, there are there ads that I can skip after five seconds and sometimes not? Do I, I, have I was, to, do I have to help out Cobra Kai by answering just one question? Well, the thing I was interested about, because I'm not, I'm not quite sure, like when these these shows change networks or streaming services services, how the opening logos work. So I was half expecting, like, are they going to have like a dumb YouTube, whatever YouTube Plus, YouTube Red, whatever it was called? Um, are they going to have like a, a logo on there? And no, they just have the hmm. Netflix logo. Huh. I think uh, it, it, I think it is Sony Pictures, so they might have an, a logo hmm. on top as well. Um, but yeah, I'd I'd say give the first episode a shot because it's very short and if you like it keep going 
Yeah, I might, I might check that out. That actually does sound interesting. Uh, I played a video game called Tunic, oh, yeah. uh, which is a game that just came out for the Switch. It's been out for a while, I think, on Xbox, so I'm kind of late to the party, but it did come out for Switch and PlayStation uh, just like this past week. Um, I was able to finish it, so it is a good length. It's it's not like a super long one. Um, I think it's it's like $30 on switch at least i i had some switch points or whatever they call them saved up and i was like sounds good let's let's spin them on this um and uh it is uh a really delightful game that is basically like <laughs> so uh, I've, I've probably talked before about how much i love dark souls on I don't, I don't know if i've found enough ways to bring that up but i do uh and dark souls is very much inspired by zelda and sort of playing out of Zelda as a game setup, but like turning it into this big 3D sprawling thing. Um, this game I would describe as taking that, taking, you know, kind of what Dark Souls has evolved out of from Zelda and then pulling that back into a Zelda cute cartoon box. Uh, and it's really fun and interesting. Um, the entire game is a puzzle basically and it's not like push the box onto the button and see if the door will open it's it's not like the like oh you have to figure out how to slide things around or press the right lights on the door or whatever like and there well i don't get too far into it um (laughs) but the kind of the the core premise is that you are you're playing this game the combat is like relatively difficult. Like that's definitely kind of Dark Souls inspired. Um, but you have a manual uh, that comes up. You only get like two pages of it to begin with. Uh, and the manual is written in a language that looks like complete gibberish. Uh, and it has like drawings and like occasional English words that tell you kind of more or less what you're looking at uh, and how to do certain things. But the game involves building the manual out to the point where you eventually figure out how to, you don't have to, but you can eventually figure out how to translate the language. The game literally got me to go in and like translate the language myself because I was so fascinated by this Uh, and like using like cryptography and decoding and stuff to figure out like, Oh, what, you know, what does this correspond to? And like, it's a really cool language when you see it, like the way it's actually like put together. Um, And like, it has mechanics that you can do from the beginning of the game. You just don't know what the buttons to press for uh, them are. Wow. And so like, as you find things in the manual, you're like, wait, I could do that this whole time. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and like, yeah, it, it is a super cool thing to unravel. Um, there's a ton of charm into it. There's lots of, of crazy little fun things. Uh, there's a, uh, a, an effect when you open the manual that, the game pauses behind the manual on what looks like an old CRT TV. Like the graphics get more pixelated and like oh, there yeah. is in the background. Uh, like you're looking at a manual in the nineties or whatever. It's, it's delightful. I think it's a single guy that made wow. the entire and developed the entire game. Um, uh, and I cannot recommend it enough. I'm, I was a, a big, big fan. Very good experience. Like I said, not super long. I mean, it's good. Like probably 15 hours. I don't know how long it takes me to play games. Um, I don't know how long I spent messing with trying to translate the language. Uh, it, like it, it is, it is a good time. 
Um, really good, just like Mindbender. Some of the, the puzzles towards the end, I will say, got a little tedious. Uh, so results may vary there. Uh, and, I, and definitely by the very end, I had to be like, I'm just kind of looking up some of what's going on here so I can like just get, get this knocked out um, and roll along with it. Um, but lots of really cool, fun things to figure out. And I would definitely recommend jumping in without knowing anything else about it than what I've just said. That sounds cool. I might need to check that out. It's not quite 80s nostalgia, but... You know. <laughs> it's 90s nostalgia. It's 90s. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, 80s nostalgia hasn't really had a moment, so we gotta, <laughs> we gotta push for that. Um... <laughs> I should also point out, I was not nostalgic for Predator. I, I it was, it was for uh, the podcast. I'm, I'm, I, it was a sure. tax write-off. I did it for it was, business. It was, it was for charitable the donations. It was for the lulls in the vine. Um, yeah. If you want more of that, uh, find us online <laughs> at herecomethesequels.blogspot.com. Find us on Twitter at httsequels. Email us at herecomethesequels at gmail.com. We want your memes. Send us memes, and I will explain them on the podcast. This is my promise. Uh, please, I, I'm just going to leave it at that. Send, send us memes. We'll, we'll work with them. You we'll really don't want to put any uh, no. exclusions on that? No, I don't want to. I don't. This is, this is unfiltered. No censorship, this is Alex. Raw. Come on. This is straight from... Wait, wait, Britton, have you truth. been, are, are you telling me that this whole time we haven't had to censor ourselves? I mean, we haven't had to. Look, guys, let me, to. all right, let, let, let old Uncle Alex sit back and tell you what I really thought of Scream 3. <laughs> and Matchbox 20. Now, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, you know where, where you can find only the, uh, the most uncensored, um, un- abashed uh confident takes is our our, our new podcast sports on sports uh, where, <laughs> where we where we all uh, you can find uh, posh british accents to talk about cricket or something <laughs> no, you, you can find in our, in our next episode you'll yeah. you'll find our uh britain and i's argument about whether steve trombo is the the greatest running back uh, the houston oilers ever had uh we get into it we we break down the numbers we break down the legacy yeah. Uh, I, I, I won't be provided a mic, so you'll just hear me faintly in the background just yelling and complaining about my Fantasy League scores. I've been Alex. He hasn't done the thing yet. Did I do the thing? Did what you do, what thing have I not You can done? find us online. At, yeah. You did do it? <laughs> oh, I was thinking about Steve. Okay. I've <laughs> been Alex. We know. Oh, my um, God. Give us a like and subscribe. Yeah. Uh, I think it'll probably help. Uh, we we worship the algorithm daily uh. Uh, for for sustenance uh, so that we can we can one day leave the dungeons we are trapped in and meet together for the first time. Uh, I've been Tyler. <laughs> yeah, we've never met each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we we found each other on a, a serial podcasters uh, web forum, and <laughs> I've been Britain, still a ghost, and you're having a good night.